As you and I go through our daily lives, where are those moments when we expect to encounter Jesus? What are those moments, what are those situations where we, we just know that Jesus will be present? Let's take a look at some pictures. A family sitting in church. When we come to church, is that where we expect to find Jesus? Do we expect to meet Him there and feel His presence? Maybe it's when we gather in someone's living room to pray and read the Bible and have a life group, small group kind of experience. Is that where we go expecting to meet Jesus? Or how about there? Caring for someone who is sick. You know, as I look at that picture, I realize it, it looks pretty neat. And it can cover up a grim reality. Because caring for sick people of any age often can be very messy and very tiring and very demanding. And when we give our time to care for sick people, we may not feel very spiritual. <laughs> Is Jesus there? In a moment like that? And how about here? People feeding the homeless. When you and I look at the faces of those men, do we see Jesus? Is Jesus there in that moment? And how about here? Behind bars. Is Jesus there in prison? If we go and visit an inmate, do we expect to meet Jesus there? In the Bible passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to tell a very distinctive parable. And in this story, he's going to say that we can find him in all kinds of places among all sorts of people. And in fact, he tells us that he identifies in an amazingly personal way with the people in our world who are most in need. Needy people like some of those we just saw in these pictures. And many other kinds of needy people as well. And yes, we can and do find and experience Jesus here in church and in our small groups and in other Christian gatherings. But Jesus also is present among the sick and the hurting and the homeless and the incarcerated. That's where we can find him. And the question is, are we looking? That's what Jesus wants us to catch as he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. First, we need to set the scene, and it begins in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, the parable that follows this introduction only is going to make sense if we remember Jesus' foundational commandment of love. He asks us to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love others as we love ourselves. 
And after this introduction, Jesus is going to explain that a lifestyle of love has implications both for this life and the life to come. And so he sets this parable in the context of his return to earth and the day of judgment. And he begins by telling his listeners that when he comes back, he's going to come back as the king of the kingdom of God. And when he returns, he's going to carry out one of the responsibilities of a king, which is to gather the nations before him and to exercise some justice. Now, when we hear that word nations, we may think that Jesus is referring to political and geographical entities such as America or Russia or Chile or Korea. However, the word in the original Greek text is ethne, which refers to a multitude of people from different ethnic groups. So I think it's most likely that here Jesus is talking about people standing before him as individuals, not as representatives of a specific nation. And what is it that Jesus does with these people? He divides them into two groups. One symbolized as sheep, one symbolized as goats. Now, the distinction between those two animals would be immediately obvious to his his audience because they lived in an agrarian society. And they understand that sheep are fairly docile and they tend to do well in community. Sheep want and need a leader and they willingly follow their leader. Now, goats, on the other hand, (laughs) goats don't always play well with others. Goats can be stubborn independent, feisty. Goats like to break the rules. I I think of a goat as sort of an animal kingdom version of an impetuous, strong-willed, three-year-old child who has no concept of boundaries. That's a goat. Now, Now, there may be some times in life when it's good to be a goat. You know, independence is not always a bad thing. There can be times when it's smart to challenge the existing boundaries and to try to push them out. But from a spiritual perspective, it's not good to be a goat. A goat is someone who ignores God and who believes that they can be self-sufficient apart from God. What a contrast with a sheep. Because a sheep is someone who's willing to humbly follow Jesus. And so if we're sheep and not goats then it means that we trust Jesus even when we have questions and doubts and things don't seem to make sense. We trust that Jesus is a good shepherd who always has our best interests at heart. And Jesus values the sheep. And so he is going to commend them. He's going to commend them for the way they've embraced his great commandment of love and have put it into practice by loving others. And this is where the parable begins to have some punch. Look at what Jesus says next. Then the king, that's Jesus speaking about himself in the future, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
Let's try to picture this scene. Here's Jesus, our king, seated on his royal throne. And on his left and right side are multitudes of people. And he turns to the people on the right, those who are characterized as sheep, and he says, you are blessed. You are blessed because you took care of me when I was hungry and needy and sick and in prison. Now that makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense because Jesus wasn't sick. (laughs) Jesus wasn't in prison. He can't be describing himself. So evidently he's using himself to represent various kinds of needy people. He's telling the faithful sheep in a very distinct and unusual way that they are blessed Because they lived out the principles of the kingdom of God. They lived a lifestyle of love and they extended their love to people who needed some help. And they're blessed because they lived as kingdom citizens during their lives. Now they get to experience the fullness of God's kingdom in the next life. God has prepared an eternal kingdom for his children and it's waiting to be populated by those who were faithful in this life. And having said that, we need to be very careful that we don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Based on the wording of our English translations, we might conclude that somehow these these sheep have earned the right to inherit the kingdom because they've taken care of needy people. But that's not the case. These people are not blessed because they've taken care of needy people. They take care of needy people because they're blessed. You see, their love for others is a reflection of their love for God. And they love God with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength. And so it's the most natural thing in the world then to love others as they love themselves. I believe Jesus is highlighting the fact that good kingdom citizens don't just love people who are healthy and successful. We don't just love people who are like us. We don't just love people who are able to love us in return. We strive to do what we can, when we can, with what we have, so that we can love a variety of people who are in need. Now, as the parable continues, we're going to find that these sheep, they are very confused by what Jesus has just said. They know that they never took care of a sick or imprisoned Jesus. So what is it that he really means? And Jesus is going to tell them something astonishing. He's going to let them know that when they love other people, particularly the most needy, They actually are loving him. And that's true for us as well. When we love needy people, we're actually loving Jesus. Look what Jesus says next. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did it for me. 
I, I find it fascinating here that the sheep, the righteous people of God, they had no idea that when they served needy people that they somehow were serving Jesus. And yet Jesus just said, you fed me when I was hungry, and you clothed me when I was in need. So he's not saying here, oh, when you care for other people, you somehow honor me. No, what he's saying is, when you serve other people, you serve me. And when you serve the least of these, I'm there. Jesus is personalizing his connection with the lowest and the least in an incredible way. And he even calls such people his brothers and sisters. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, if we let the reality of Jesus' words soak into us, I think what he says is amazing. He is saying that we love God by loving others. I spent a lot of time, not just this week, but on and off over the years, pondering over this passage and praying about it, asking God to show me what it means in my life and in our life together. And here are three things that occur to me. First, I think that Jesus is offering examples of needs, not a complete list of needs. There are many other kinds of people and many other kinds of situations where individuals are somewhat helpless and need to experience the love of Jesus expressed by us. And to give you one example, if we look in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus says, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. Isn't that interesting? It sounds almost like what he says here. He's personalized himself with little children. And to me, I think this says that we easily could include children among the least of these. Because the fact is that on their own, kids are somewhat helpless. And they need lots of good adult help to grow up in a healthy way. And that's why we want to care for the children of our church by providing programs for them on Sunday morning. That's why we're starting an Awana program for kids on Wednesday nights because on their own, children will flounder. And we want to invest in them. And with our help, children can learn to embrace Jesus' great commandment of love. And they can grow up developing an ever deeper love for God and love for others. And it breaks my heart because an increasing number of churches in our community are abandoning children's ministry. They're abandoning children's ministry because of a lack of volunteers. Too many people are not willing to invest time to raise up the next generation so boys and girls can learn how to live by faith. And we never want that to happen here because we are deeply committed to helping our kids become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to invest in our kids. And not just our kids, but the kids of our neighborhood. Thirteen years ago, this church made an incredible decision to start an outreach program called KidMax. 
Once a week, during the school year, we have 60-plus children here from Bertha Holt Elementary, and they come for an afternoon of games and activities and a Bible lesson. We have more than 30 volunteers who invest their time. And we do this because so many kids right around our church are in desperate need of love and attention and care that is not available to them in their homes. Many of the children who come truly are at risk. And KidMax gives us a unique opportunity to be a positive influence in their lives and hopefully lead some of them to faith in Jesus. And as I talk about KidMax, it really leads to my second observation, which is that Jesus commends the sheep for caring for needy people, and by implication, he's commending them for doing some things that most likely are going to be inconvenient. Serving people in need often is very disruptive, which means we only can do it well if we've embraced Jesus' great commandment of love. And I have to tell you, KidMax totally disrupted our lives this year. You see, we do it on the one day each week when the school district has an early release day. And the fact that kids get out about an hour earlier is a day of great need for parents. So that's why we stepped into the gap. We said, we're going to not let your kids be latchkey kids. We'll give them a safe place and a productive place to be. We've done it on Wednesdays up until this year. And this year, the district moved their early release day from Wednesday to Friday. And you have no idea how disruptive it has been for us to handle that change. Friday was the day off for two members of our ministry staff. Not anymore. Rob and Drew had to change their day off so that we could continue to do KidMax. And they did it. And when they changed their day off, one of the ripple effects was we had to change the day of our staff meeting. We also had to change the production schedule of work in the church office because Friday wasn't available to get the printed program done. It had to be done earlier in the week. Our, our custodian had to change the hours when she comes to clean the church. The church finance committee no longer can meet on Fridays. All of our KidMax volunteers, 30 plus people, had to change their personal schedules. So one change created a huge ripple effect. It would have been so tempting to say, what a hassle. It's not worth it. That would have been wrong because it is worth it. It's worth it to reach out into our community and to show God's love to children and families, many of whom Jesus would characterize as the least of these. And it's worth it to do what we do because we believe that as we love these kids and as we love their families, Jesus is there, just as he says in this parable. And when we can get beyond ourselves and see Jesus in these people, then it makes it much easier to navigate the disruptions that may result when we make the choice to love and serve other people. I find myself wondering, how might God want to disrupt the rhythm of your life just a bit so that you can help someone in need? And if the Holy Spirit prompts you to step out of your comfortable pattern and rhythm and routine, how would you respond? 
There's a third thing that occurs to me. You know, this is a parable. It's making a point. It's not dotting the I's and crossing all the T's. Don't glean everything that we need to know about this issue from this parable. And one thing that we need to recognize is that on our own, you and I can't help everybody that crosses our path. We just can't. And that's why people in our community have formed various nonprofit organizations. We have St. Vincent de Paul, we have Eugene Mission, we have Love in the Name of Christ, and so many others. And we support organizations like that through our church benevolence fund, so we're investing in that together. Some of you volunteer your time to help with those kinds of organizations. And it's a reminder that there's power in joining together to serve and to put the words of Jesus into practice. And that's why every August we partner with Project Hope. One month ago, we came together as a church to serve alongside each other and to serve alongside more than 40 other churches to help the least of these kids getting ready to go back to school who were in desperate need. And so together we distributed shoes and socks and backpacks filled with school supplies. Volunteers gave haircuts and meals. And we served more than 3,000 local students and their families. And we did it together because we never could do it alone. And we did it because we believe that as we serve these families, Jesus is there. We serve Him. And what is so very tragic is that there are some people in this world who never get it. They never grasp the importance of looking beyond themselves and serving others. And based on what happens next in this parable, Jesus makes it clear that there are eternal consequences for ignoring Him and ignoring what he's teaching here about loving and serving others. Let's look at the last part of this parable, verse 41. Then he, again, this is Jesus still talking, he's talking about the king on his throne, and he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in person and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. After commending the people on his right, the sheep, the faithful, Jesus now addresses those on the left, the people represented as goats. And he tells them that they ignored needy people in their lives, which means they ignored Jesus, they ignored his teaching, they ignored his message and his ministry. And there always are consequences for ignoring Jesus in this life. I do find it very interesting that these people call Jesus Lord. You see, think, I think on the day of judgment, everybody's going to recognize Jesus for who he is. Unfortunately, even, these, even though these feisty and rebellious goats now, now recognize Jesus, they just didn't want to be bothered with him during their lives. They refused to embrace his love. 
These were the types of people who could see another human being suffering from hunger or thirst or abject poverty and do nothing. That's the behavior which Jesus judges because such behavior is the result of a hard heart. And hard-hearted people are going to face very real consequences when they stand before Jesus. So as I consider the implications of this passage, I'm very grateful to be a part of a church that takes this seriously. And I'm glad that we make an effort individually and together to try to love people in need. And I'm also glad that we're not willing to accept the status quo and just keep doing what we're doing. We're willing to look for new options and opportunities. We're willing to try new things to extend our reach and love more people on the margins. You know, this past year, we started a monthly community community breakfast for people in need. And our desire was to serve people with a limited income who have limited means by ensuring that at least once a month they could begin their day with a hearty breakfast. And many of you helped with that effort. It was a good faith effort, and yet it didn't really work. We weren't able to meet needs the way we wanted to. And so for the time being, we've shut it down, and we're reconsidering what we might do. But here's the point. Not every effort to help has a storybook ending. Some of you may have noticed that we had a couple camping out back of the church for a few weeks. And we did this in partnership with a program from St. Vincent de Paul. And they asked churches to provide a safe place for people who are in transition and are trying to get back on their feet. And so we invited this couple to stay here provided them with a safe place to park their vehicle. We tried to minister to them and help them as best we could, and it did not end well. And they're not on site anymore, and they're not even together anymore. We have no idea what the future holds for that couple. But we pray for them, and we hope that God will be at work in their lives. But you see, those two examples remind us that Jesus never guarantees the outcome. He just asks us to love people. And the greatest mistake, I believe, is not failure. The greatest mistake is to not care at all and not try at all. Jesus wants us to open our eyes and look at the people around us in the world. And when we see people in need, he wants us to see him. And when we do, he wants us to discern in this situation with this person, how can we love Jesus by loving that person? And are we willing to love even if it means taking some risks? Are we willing to love even if we might fail? I believe there's an invitation here for each of us. How might Jesus be prompting you? How might Jesus be prompting me? respond to the teaching of this parable? How can you and I more fully embrace his words and live a lifestyle of love? When it comes to the needy people in our world, what would Jesus have us do next?